from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. For generations, the church has found a way to sing holy, 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 has found a way to sing Hosanna in the highest. And we give thanks to God for the ways in which that praise continues. I'm so thankful for our staff singers, our staff who has led faithfully and have brought their gifts to bear so that we may continue to hear those praises and those shouts of Hosanna. The texts that we have set before us today come from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, verses, uh, chapter 55, rather, verses 1 through 5. And I'm calling an audible uh, at the last minute here. Uh, instead of Romans 9, 1 through 5, I'm going to read uh, the opening verses of Hebrews chapter 12. So despite what it says in your digital bulletin, I'm not going to read Romans 9. I'm going to read Hebrews 12 following uh, the prophet Isaiah. Listen to God's word to you and to me. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and, your la and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For God has glorified you. And from Hebrews chapter 12, the opening lines. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open these words, these texts afresh for us, in our time, we're tired. 
We're uncertain. We're on edge. We need a word from you that would give us what we need to run this race, to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You are what you eat. If you hear that line from a nutritionist or from a dietitian or from a parent who has spied their child going for a second dessert, you know the gist of what they are getting at when they say you are what you eat. If you eat unhealthy food, you become physically and mentally unhealthy. If you eat junk all the time, your body and your mind will turn to junk. You are what you eat. But if you happen to be in the company of, let's say, an anthropologist or perhaps a sociologist and you hear them say you are what you eat, they may not necessarily be thinking about caloric intake or percentages of saturated fat or vitamins and minerals as they relate to the composition of our food. Because for the social scientist, the, the food we prepare, the food that we eat, the food we prefer is often tied to our cultural or ethnic or geographic identity. The social scientist will say that our food actually reinforces who we are. It reinforces our identity. It reinforces our sense of self. It reinforces our sense of place in the world. For the social scientist, food is more than just a matter of health. It's more than just a matter of sustenance or taste or preference. Food often reminds us of where we have come from and defines for us what is normal and what is good, at least within those contexts. Let me give a brief example of this. There was this uh, anthropologist who not too long ago uh, did some field work in a Danish kindergarten. And in that particular kindergarten, the children brought their lunch to school from home. And this anthropologist noticed that immigrant children, most of them were from the Middle East, were often told by their teachers, they were verbally told by their teachers that their bread, forms of flatbread or forms of, of pita, uh, that their bread was unhealthy and they should bring rye bread instead for their lunch. This anthropologist, anthropologist noticed that the teachers repeated this theme every time they saw an immigrant child bring a flatbread. They tried to convince these children that rye is better for you than the bread they were bringing for lunch. Now, rye bread is the standard bread in Denmark. It's the normative bread. It's sort of like the national bread. And it's not that the immigrants' bread was actually less healthy. The teachers really didn't know all that much about uh, the nutrients of the bread these children were bringing. But rye bread was normal bread for Danish children. 
And these teachers viewed these immigrant children and their lunches, they viewed them as abnormal, outside the standard, outside the norm, and thus they deemed it to be unhealthy or somehow less than the traditional Danish lunch for a kindergartner. Well, the same anthropologist began to study uh, the menus of cafeterias, again in Denmark, where pork in certain cafeterias in certain schools where pork was being removed as one of the lunch options. The school systems in question were, were sensitive to the dietary restrictions of Muslim students. Well, neo-nationalists in the country who were also anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant viewed this move as a capitulation to the globalization that was showing up in their schools, that was showing up on their doorstep. And like rye bread, pork is a standard dish in Denmark. And some were arguing during this time from a political perspective that to eat pork is actually to be Danish. And if you don't eat pork, you're really not Danish. And if you're not really Danish, well then, you really don't belong. In a political and national and cultural sense, you are what you eat is so much more than nutrition, is so much more than taste. It's about identity. It's about what is deemed to be normal. It's about what is deemed to be good and right. It's about who belongs and who doesn't. That's why within our congregation and within so many Christian communities across the globe, communion, the Lord's table, the Eucharist, the common sacrament we share is so important in shaping the identity of Christians. The communion table, Christ's table, is a, is a gift of grace. And at his table, all are welcome through repentance and faith. And at Christ's table, Remember, we, we share the same meal. We, we eat the same elements as a testimony to our equality as children of God. At Christ's table, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we share this meal with Jesus himself. We are what we eat at Christ's table. That's true. We are what we eat at his table. We are united with Christ. We belong to him. We're united with one another. We belong to God's people. And at the table, at Christ's table, we are reminded of our identity and how it's rooted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the things I miss the most in these pandemic times is celebrating the Lord's table in person. We, we've shared in the sacrament a few times virtually, but, but it is not the same. To see people in sacred spaces gathered from all walks of life, from various political persuasions, from various socioeconomic backgrounds, representing different histories, coming together to be one family, to be one people, to share in the meal. This is a holy experience. And in these fragmented times when 
when so many voices seek to divide and, and, and rigidly dictate who belongs and who doesn't, I long for the communion table. I long to eat the bread and drink the cup so I may remember, so that we all may remember who we are and to whom we belong. You are what you eat. As I've tried to note, this is true in more ways than one. And because it is true, we would do well to heed the voice of the prophet Isaiah from the 55th chapter, in particular the second part of verse 2. The prophet writes, Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Shorthand explanation. You are what you eat. So make sure you are eating what is good. I invite you to take a step with me into uh, the context of Isaiah 55 so we may gain some clarity, some understanding on how the image of eating and drinking functions in the imagination of this text. Now the vast majority of biblical scholars will divide uh, the book of Isaiah into three sections, commonly referring to them as 1st Isaiah, 2nd Isaiah, and 3rd Isaiah. And the reason scholars do that is to uh, note the difference in authorship, the difference in time periods, and the difference in the concerns for what turns out to be three books in one volume that is labeled under the heading Isaiah. Isaiah 40 to 55 is known as 2nd Isaiah. And remember that our text for this morning, Isaiah 55, is part of this work known as 2nd Isaiah. And it was written in the context of the kingdom of Judah's captivity in Babylon. You see, beginning in 605 BCE, uh, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem on multiple occasions. And he began the strategic exile of many citizens from the land of Judah. And so 2 Isaiah is all about God's promise of restoration. 2 Isaiah is a prophetic vision for exiled people, for people who have been cut off. It's about their homecoming. It's about how God is going to do a great thing. Second Isaiah is about the imminent future. When God will remember God's promises, God's covenant, and God will liberate the people and bring them back into the land of promise to bring them back home. And so the prophet begins this section by, by writing the word ho, which is a, a way to say, hey, listen up. I've got something important to say. Hear ye, hear ye, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Remember that in this time of exile, the people were thirsty. 
The people were hungry. The people were poor. They had no money. The the people were unsatisfied. The people had everything that was familiar to them and everything that was deemed sacred and important to them. It was stripped away, taken from them in these days of exile. And the prophet speaks a restorative word that God will satisfy those who thirst. God will satisfy those who hunger. And God will do it through covenantal grace. It will cost the people nothing. It'll be free. The wine and the milk, which symbolize a life of abundance, will be offered to the people at no charge. The wine and the milk are symbols of what is good to consume. These are symbols of what actually satisfies the soul. And what does actually satisfy the soul? The answer is God. What meets us in our separation? What meets us in our exile? In times of peril and in times of need, friends, it's God who is our abundance. And God gives a gift of grace couched in the language of milk and wine. God gives the divine abundant life freely to the people as God sets to bring the people home. There's nothing, nothing at all that the people have done to prove themselves worthy of such a gift, of such a life, of such a homecoming. God gives these gifts graciously, in freedom, and in love. The prophet then offers a warning. Do not spend your money on that which is not bread. And do not labor for that which does not satisfy. The prophet is articulating something I think we all already know. As human beings, we will go after things in life that don't satisfy the thirst or the hunger we actually possess. We oftentimes go after that which is not bread, which is another way to say that we go after things which are not God, even though we treat them as if they were God. Sometimes we go after things that do not promote an abundant life, a life with God and a life with the people of God. Sometimes we're eating things that are simply not good for us. On Friday afternoon, I I changed into my running clothes to go for a run. I, I laced up my sneakers. I put on my headphones. But before I left, I went into the kitchen and I ate two chocolate chip cookies and grabbed a handful of barbecue potato chips. Not a good choice before a run. And I, I felt it on the run. I was lethargic. I was heavy. In fact, I couldn't complete my normal three-mile routine. 
And I had to ask myself, why did I do that? Why would I consume that food right before the run? I mean, I know why. Because cookies taste really good. And barbecue potato chips are, are, are my favorite. They, they, they bring me a measure of comfort. They, for a moment, suppress my real hunger and my real thirst. And make no mistake, eating such things before a run will cost you something. It's not free. And in this case, it cost me the ability to finish the race, to finish the run. This is a metaphor, of course. What I'm eating, what I'm feasting on, what cookie jars and bags of chips do I consume that do not help me run the race? What am I eating that costs me something? What am I eating that costs me my integrity? That costs me my spiritual stamina? That costs me my ability to be light on my feet? To be nimble in times that require change and transformation? Things that cost me my future or perhaps my moral compass or my relationships or my faith or even my soul? Make no mistake, friends, we're, we're running a race in these days of coronavirus. We are running a race in these days of uncertainty. We are running a race at the crossroads of social and political unrest. And for this race, the prophet's words are poignant. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy Remember, friends, you are what you eat. And if you eat that which does not satisfy, you will be hungry. You will be thirsty. Instead, the invitation comes to us to eat what is good, to eat that which truly does satisfy, to feast on the grace of God, to feast on the word of God, to feast on worship and, and prayer, to feast on justice and mercy and empathy, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to consume the love and restoration and forgiveness and homecoming that God offers to you and to me and to this whole world. You are what you eat. So what are you eating? these days. Is it good? Does it satisfy? Does it help you run the race? Maybe it's time for a change in our diet. Maybe it's time for a different buffet as we continue to run the race that's set before us, maybe it's time to receive the invitation of the Lord and to come to God's abundant feast. Perhaps it is time to come to the waters, to come and to eat food at no cost and with no price.
perhaps it's time to eat what is good. Because after all, you are what you eat. Amen.